So um, Todd Hunter is in Kansas City, baptizing, ordaining, preaching, bishoping, confirming, confirming all the ING things that bishops do. And because my name is Todd, they've asked me to speak today. <laughs> I'm just simply Todd number two. Uh, so that's an easy choice for them. So uh, if you have your bulletins you might, or your Bibles, you might kind of open to Ephesians 1 reading, which is where we'll be today, starting a series in Ephesians for the summer. Uh, if you read Todd's, the website uh, and Todd's comment, um, our plans to fly everyone to Ephesus fell through, uh, something to do with money, and so we're just going to stay here and do Ephesians. So speaking of flying and leaving... Um, so our oldest daughter, uh, Carly, is uh, graduating this in a few weeks, and uh, this morning she's sleeping off the, one of the last rites of high school passage, which is prom, last night. But um, yeah, she's leaving, and uh, this is our first one to leave the nest. She's going to the East Coast in the fall to start college. And you know, that's a pretty big deal for me and for my wife. Um, and I get at these kind of big transitions, I get kind of philosophical. And uh, I kind of been reflecting on kind of the high and low points of parenting over the years, uh, mostly the low points. Um, be nice to have a, a chance to do a few things over again, but she's turned out pretty well. But you know, one conclusion I've, I've come to in thinking about parenting is that the capacity of a parent to experience joy and delight and the good gifts of God has a big impact on a child. And, and I guess I came to this through one simple observation I've had, at least now that I think about it, is that, when, uh, that my kids really love it when I laugh. They just really love it when I laugh. And there's something kind of mysterious here, and it's hard to know exactly what's happening in them. There seems to be some kind of relief, though, when they see me laugh. Um, now, of course, I guess one reason would be is they feel off the hook. You know, it's not up to them to take care of their dad emotionally. And so when I laugh, I think they feel kind of relief, like I don't have to take care of the parent He's going to be okay. But I think, I think there's something also kind of broader happening. Um, a kind of a baseline of laughter or delight in the home means maybe that through all of the difficulties of life, it's all going to be okay. If you can find the room to delight and wonder at the goodness of the world, then maybe it's all going to be okay. You know, I think children are kind of looking for cues from their parents. You know, they're growing up, and, and maybe as Einstein said, you know, Einstein said the most important question in the universe is whether the universe is hostile or friendly. And, you know, for, you know, such as it is, when our kids grow up, we're kind of God for them in the early years. We're kind of the stewards of the mysteries. <laughs> they're kind of looking to us to try and figure out the world. And they're trying to figure out, even though they may not be able to articulate it, is, is this going to be a friendly life or a hostile life in this world? 
And so even though our laughter or joy and delight is not like a practical gift to them, like a bike or a vacation, maybe it doesn't offer that kind of pulsation of joy, they do, I think, kind of feel it in their bones as kind of good news when their parent sees the goodness of life. It's not really spoken, but it's kind of absorbed. And they want to be in on it. And I know that because every time I laugh, or many times that I laugh, or my wife laughs, their question is, what's so funny? They want to be in on it. Um, Now, you haven't asked for my advice this morning, but for those of you who are raising children, um, and this has really little to do with the message at this point, but just to say, you might consider seeking to become the kind of person who regularly rejoices in the Lord, as the scriptures say, and the good gifts that he gives us, because that will be a gift to your children. Now, today, actually, you may have caught from the themes of the songs, is Trinity Sunday in the church calendar. And I'm going to make the case that the Trinity, rather, has a lot to do with how we see the world. But, you know, Trinity is unfortunately kind of one of those truths, the Trinity is, that, um, that we sense is central and foundational and important to the Christian faith. We've heard that it is. <laughs> the doctrine of the Trinity is major. But practically speaking, we're often not sure what to do with it. Um, you know, for serious Christians like us, you know, we're looking for the bottom line. We're looking for the payoff. We're looking for truth that tells us how to grow in Christ or truth that tells us how to understand God's will or truth that tells us how to love our neighbor or truth that tells us how to share the gospel with others. In which case, the Trinity seems a little bit abstract. In fact, in sharing the gospel with others, the Trinity is kind of like the last thing we want to bring up. (laughs) It's a little confusing. It's a little strange, and we're not sure what to do with it in practical or relevant contexts. It just seems to kind of complicate things. And it maybe seems like something that should probably stay in the background. (laughs) And actually, that might be right. The Trinity probably is something that should kind of stay in the background most of the time. But I guess I prefer to say it should kind of remain as that deep foundation, that thing that we rest in and speak of occasionally. And Trinity Sunday is one of those days that we speak of it. It's kind of like people coming to your garden and saying, they don't usually say, wow, what great soil you have. (laughs) They look at the flowers. But, of course, we would say that the soil is pretty much foundational. And for people who really want to dig into the deep things of God, then it's time to talk about the soil from time to time. So the first thing I'm going to say about the Trinity this morning is maybe a little bit surprising. And it comes from a friend of mine named Fred Sanders at Biola, who wrote a book on the Trinity. And he says, if there's one thing that's better than the good news of the gospel, it's the good news of the Trinity. The only thing better than the gospel good news is the good news of the Trinity. Wow, that's a pretty stunning claim. We might call the Trinity good news number one and the gospel good news number two. Yeah, good news number two certainly is the gospel itself, that God created us to experience abundant life on earth, and then when we sought to find life elsewhere, he came after us. And through his son, the sacrifice of his son, the atonement and the redemption and the gift of the Spirit to teach us how to live this life, we receive the good news. That is good news 
That is the gospel. And this morning, we're going to call it good news number two. We're going to see in a moment, actually, that the Trinity is heavily involved in good news number two. It's heavily involved in bringing the gospel about. But as we look into Ephesians today, Todd Hunter number one wrote on the website that we're going to be opening Ephesians today and we're going to be talking about good news number two. He says, he says this is a series for those wondering what God accomplished in this life, in the death and resurrection of Jesus, and how the Spirit presently continues that work and what it means for us today. Strangely, though, if you look at Paul's, the first 13 verses in your Ephesians passage, Paul wants to talk about the Trinity and the Trinity's role in that good news. And so we're going to turn there in a minute, that the Trinity has a strong role to play in this good news number two that we call the gospel. But what about good news number one, the news of just the Trinity itself? Well, let your eyes go up to our Genesis passage this morning, which in the middle of the Genesis passage it reads, Here at the creation, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fishes of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. You know, reading Genesis, you get this strange feeling that while Genesis is the beginning of our story, it's kind of in the middle of the Trinity's story. It's almost as if in the long course of their eternal existence, they did finally turn to one another and say, you know that thing we discussed about creating this world and this people? Let's do it now. It's the beginning of our story, but it's kind of the middle of their story. And of course, we know the Trinity is already present here because of the words like our image, our likeness. The Trinity is there in the beginning already. And in fact, the Trinity has always been there. And this is the doctrine of the eternal pre-existence of the Trinity. The Trinity was always there. The Father, Son, and Spirit pre-existed anything that was created. And here's a thought. They actually didn't need to create the world or to create us to enjoy their lives. They lived, the three of them, in a relationship of perfect love. They didn't create the world out of some need to have some object to love like because they were lonely or restless or content or needed a new project. They existed in this relationship of perfect love already. The Father had the Son to love. The Son had the Spirit to love. The Spirit had the Father to love. They often say that three is the perfect number for relationship. Friendships are formed as two people look at a third thing, don't they? As two people find a third thing they love together, it bonds those two people things, things together. And if that third thing is a person, then the three of them get to kind of alternately say, isn't that person cool? <laughs> I remember when we first had Carly, now that I'm being philosophical about Carly leaving, eating dinner, she's swinging in her chair, and Dottie and I just looked at her and said, isn't that cool? That little bean. There was this threeness that we could exist in this relationship of love. Well, more so for the Trinity. They did not need to create us. The good news for us, their children, is that they were already enjoying love. Which means that love is at the root of the universe. Is this a hostile universe or a friendly one? It's a friendly one because the only thing that existed in the universe before the world was these three beings and their love for one another. Love has always been at the root 
of the universe. The parents have always been happy. (laughs) They don't love us out of some emptiness or some need or some, uh, even put it worse, some kind of neurotic need to be loved in return. They created the world because they simply are love. And there's no explanation behind that or under that. The world was created as a kind of overflow of their love and joy that they wanted to invite others into. I remember uh, when Di and I were traveling in Europe many years ago, we were in a, a large B&B, a French house, and we were up in the attic, the third floor, kind of, um, I don't know if you remember this, the way at the top, and uh, there was, uh, the, the proprietors below were having a very late dinner, we were in bed, and uh, they invited their friends over, and they were just having a great time. I mean, they were so noisy. But you could just tell they were talking, having the greatest time. It was all in French. I had no idea what they were talking about. But it was almost, for me, a kind of peaceful sense that this house is filled with love. Now, they could have been arguing. I don't know what they're talking about. But I think yeah, they could have been. Yeah, we know. But there was a sense that as I was going to sleep, Others were enjoying themselves. Well, when we come to the beginning of Ephesians, the talk of the Trinity now turns to us. Because when the scriptures, when we come to the scriptures, now this love that was between the three has turned to us. And it has turned to the talk of how can the Trinity invite others into this relationship of love? Almost as if those people downstairs were to come up to our attic and say, why don't you come down and join us? We're having a perfectly good time ourselves. But we delight in having others join in. And of course, now we're talking about good news number two. If you look at your passage, the opening word of Paul's discussion of the Trinity in about line four there is praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And later on, he speaks of the Spirit. So Paul is going to launch into a discussion of the Trinity and their work in bringing about gospel number two. But the purpose of this is not merely theological. It is just a praise. And what follows from this is a 202-word sentence in the Greek that is famous for being this long rocket of a sentence with no punctuation, no stops, just a kind of waterfall of praise for the work of the Trinity in bringing about the gospel. We can't look too closely at it this morning, but it kind of falls into three parts. Paul praises God, the Father, for choosing us for destining us and for adopting us to become his children. He praises God the Son, whose life and death made that possible through his atonement and redemption. And then he praises the Spirit for being the seal at the end of the passage so that nothing can separate us from the love of the Trinity. So the key verbs for the Father are the words chosen, and you see that 
in your pastures. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. Later on, he'll say he did it according to the plan. He'll say it was the purpose of his will. He'll say he predestined us for a destination. This was not suddenly the thought of a moment. But we were the object of the Trinity's plan. They didn't need to do it. They wanted to do it. And we, our plans to be adopted were far in the past. We were the object and have always been the object of their love. And with the talk of a destination, the second person of the Trinity comes in. We're told that we are predestined for, to be adopted as sons and daughters. Now, this gets a little confusing because Jesus is the son as well. And sonship, in his case, does not mean that he was ever born. He is the son. There is a father. But they have eternally existed. And the technical theological term is the son was generated from the father, though never born. In our uh, language, our creeds, we call it he was begat, which is not to be born, but is in some relational sense to come from. Jesus was begat. Well, we can't be sons and daughters in quite that way because you and I weren't eternally preexistent like Jesus and we're not God. But you know, God said, you know what? I want to invite them in the closest possible way to become sons and daughters. And so he says, you know what we're going to do? We're going to adopt them. <laughs> we're going to bring them as closely into this family as possible without making them the son like Jesus is, who is God, we are going to adopt them. Galatians 4, verses 4 to 7 says that when the fullness of time had come, when they turned to each other and said, that plan, let's do it now, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem, redeem those who are under the law so we might receive adoption. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but children and heirs to God. So now the family metaphor kicks in fully. The good news is that we've been invited to be part of the family. The family that was already happy and full of love, we have been adopted into. Jesus' sonship has been extended to us. Together, Jesus says, we can sit and pray to God. We can say, Abba, Father, together. Jesus says, pray with me. We're both sons in a little bit different sentence, senses. We're both sons and daughters in a little bit different senses, but we can pray right alongside each other, our Abba who art in heaven. And of course, this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit, in Galatians says, was sent into our hearts, and one of the results was that we cry out from within us, Abba, Father. Romans 8, 15, 7, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So it is the Father's plan to adopt us. It was Christ's sacrifice and atonement that extended his sonship to us. 
And now the Spirit is sent into us so that we almost naturally cry and recognize God as our Father. It's like that moment in the grocery store we've already, probably already seen uh, or experienced where a child runs up to you and grabs your leg <laughs> and then looks up and says, you're not my mom or dad. <laughs> There is not that recognition, that spirit of recognition that this is my mother or father. And then they run off and try and find which leg belongs to their parent. For us, the spirit has been sent in us to do all kinds of things, but one of which is to make us instantly recognize who our heavenly father is. And with Jesus, we cry out, Abba, Father. And so, this is how God has carried out good news number two, that he would be Emmanuel, God with us. Technically, we say it was through the incarnation of Christ and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Christ coming to show us what the Father is like, to create the bridge for us to be with him, and then to send the Spirit to indwell us. We were chosen, Christ was incarnated, the Spirit was indwelled, And this abstract doctrine of the Trinity has everything to do with the very concrete saving of our lives in which each of the members of the Trinity are deeply invested and involved in our adoption. That's why Paul starts this passage with the good news number one and the good news number two. That the good news of the Trinity's love for one another has been extended to us through the gospel And the rest of Ephesians is going to be to call us to walk in a manner worthy of being part of that family. That's what we get to think about this summer. And you know, you and I can experience this each time we pray. Jesus says, we pray to the Father. We pray, our Father who art in heaven. But as I pray, I'm aware that I can only pray to the Father through Jesus Christ. This is why we pray in Jesus' name. We pray to the Father through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and we do so by the Spirit who is crying out in our hearts, Abba, Father. So even in our daily prayers, the Trinity is right there. And the way we talk about it is to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. They are present. And that is why Paul's favorite phrase is we are in Christ. We are in his sonship and daughtership. You and I, many of us are probably raised by saying Christ in us, and many scriptures say that. But Paul's favorite phrase, which happens many times in this passage, is that we have been invited in to this incredible relationship through Christ by the Spirit. That is why he loves the phrase, in Christ. And when we pray, God the Father, we're told, knows what we need before we ask The Son sympathizes with our weaknesses as we ask, giving us confidence to draw near the throne. And the Spirit, when we don't know what to pray, prays for us. And so in our daily act of even seeking the Father's nurture, all three are present. There's an icon that's a real famous one by a fellow named Andrei Rublev, Russian icon painter, 15th century, and it's called the Icon of the Trinity. You might think for a moment to yourself, which is which? Who is whom? One of these is commonly associated with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
And if we had more time, we'd sit here and have a little seminar on the icon, but I'm going to have to cut to the chase. Perhaps surprisingly, the father is the one on the left, according to most interpretations of this. The son is in the middle and the spirit is on the right. Maybe you can begin to think of some reasons why it would be understood this way. It could be because the figure in the center on the right both have their heads bowed to the one on the left. It could be uh, because the colors, the green on the right, the green of new birth, commonly associated with the Holy Spirit, and the kind of reddish-brown of the one in the middle is a kind of earthy, and of course the reddish uh, of blood associated with Jesus. Um, all three of them have blue, which seems to be the color of divinity, and also because if you look on the left side behind the figure that is supposed to be the father, you see a house maybe. This is the father's house that has many mansions, or sometimes people see it as the house of the father in the parable, the prodigal son. Above the figure in the middle, a little hard to make out, it's 500 years old, (laughs) a kind of a tree often associated with the cross, a green tree above the head of the figure in the middle. If you look down below, it's a little hard to see, but below this table, there's a kind of green, similar to the robe of the Holy Spirit on the right, a kind of green river pouring out, often understood as a kind of river of life pouring out from the three of them. People have commented that the, there's a kind of serenity and peace to this icon, really conveying the good news, number one, of the Trinity, that there is perfect love between these three. And yet there is a place there for a fourth, in the four-sided table. And that place is for us. And through the good news number two, the gospel that we call the gospel, we're invited to be a part of this, this family of love. And not just us, but of course the whole world. Because there's infinite room in this family. So for a moment, as we just close and reflect, I want you to imagine yourself being actually called up by these three to sit there, sit in that open spot. What does that feel like to you? Is it amazement? Humility? Are you reluctant? Are you eager? Are you joyful? Are you apprehensive? But this is the invitation, and it's always been the invitation, to enjoy the deep things of the good news, number one, through the power of the good news, number two, the gospel. So just go ahead and silence for a moment and take a seat there.